Blog Talk Radio. BlogTalkRadio.com, Patricia Adams Live. Thank you for joining us again this evening. As promised, we're going to do an in-depth topical study in Hosea, but we're going to focus our show this evening on the root of bitterness, as we were talking about earlier, that um, the root of bitterness is a dangerous sin, but it's also a danger because it can occupy one particular human being and affect a generation of that human being's uh, descendants. So much so to the point that when it's rooted in a generation of people, that it troubles and defiles everything and everyone that that generation that lineage of people comes in contact with. And this is something that we're seeing in the book of Hosea. This is a dangerous sin, but it is something that has taken root in a lineage, and it is constantly building momentum. And as it builds momentum, it becomes more and more destructive. So we want to look at the root of bitterness tonight as we um, wrap up on today's Uh, study of Hosea, and then as we go into the rest of the book of Hosea, we want to reflect back on this. So this is going to ultimately end up in the archive, so I would encourage you to most definitely come back to this as we go into the other segments of uh, our study on Hosea, and we will conclude with this topic, I believe, by Monday, but definitely want to use the uh, examination on the bitter roots. Uh, Because with bitterness, uh, many are defiled, but in the process of that, it requires that uh, judgment is 
it, it has to be um, counterbalanced with judgment. So you cannot um, operate in the spirit and the fruit of bitterness and have it in your life perpetually and continue to contaminate and defile other people um, that you come in contact with without it ultimately coming back to you. Because remember, what you sow, that you shall also reap. So it automatically comes attached with its own special judgment. So let's um, go and have prayer, and then we will come back and uh, get started, okay? So I thank you all for tuning in, and I'd like for you to join me in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up the listeners of this broadcast to you, and I pray a hedge of protection around them. I thank you, Father, that you are a wall of fire round about them, and that you set your angels round about them, and I thank you that because they dwell in the secret place of the Most High and they abide under the shadow of the Almighty, they will say of you, Lord, that you are their refuge, their fortress, and you they will trust. I thank you that you cover them with your feathers and under your wings shall they trust. They shall not be afraid of the terror by night or the fiery dart that flies by day Only with their eyes will they behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because my listeners have made you, Lord, their refuge and fortress, no evil shall befall them, no accident will overtake them, neither shall any plague or calamity come near them, for you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of your ways. And, Father, I thank you because you've set your love upon them, therefore will you deliver them, They shall call upon you, and you will answer them. You will be with them in trouble, and will satisfy them with long life, and show them your salvation. Not a hair of their head shall perish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, We thank you so much for tuning in, and we thank those who are about to log in and join us for the study uh, continuation of Hosea on um, the topical theme, the root of bitterness. I'd like to play Never Would Have Made It by Marvin Sapp and create an atmosphere of worship because addressing this uh, topic is one that uh, requires you to enter into a place with God so that you can receive what God has um, out of this particular message tonight. Never would have made it Never could have made it Without you I would have lost it all But now I see how you were there for me and I can say never would have made it never could have made it without you I would have lost it all but now I see how you were there for me and I can say 
I'm stronger. I'm wiser. I'm better. Much better. When I look back over all your partners. We were talking about um, the root of bitterness, and we were talking about um, using that as a thing uh, to go into tonight. And I encourage you that as we go forward with the rest of uh, the study on Hosea, to refer back to this segment tonight, to the evening show segment on the root of bitterness. And I'd like for you to know that um, God is in control 
a lot of us have gone through a lot of different things. We've experienced a lot of different things as children, and now that we are adults, we've grown up, and we still find ourselves dealing and really and walking from the effects, the aftershocks, if you would, the post-traumatic stresses of um, the things that we've gone through. And some of the things that we have put ourselves through have been because of the things that were done to us and the things that were said to us, and it drove us into other vices and into other situations and circumstances. And so when we think back sometimes um, through just natural processes of reflecting on life and and looking back over your life and looking at where you've been and uh, where you're coming from, and what it is that uh, you're hoping to accomplish in your life. Some of us find ourselves uh, kind of locked in, and sometimes it doesn't seem to uh, help us progress. We don't seem to be able to get uh, anywhere. We don't seem to be able to move forward. And in this particular passage, we're coming into Hosea chapter 7, and what we're looking at is the whole um premise behind what's going on is that you look around, you've got two uh, divided kingdoms, you see a civil war that caused the divided kingdom, so now you've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and then you have the people who have just become apostate, they become reprobates, but at the same time, there's a common thread, and you have to look at it really, really closely to really see it, is that something that is you know, it says uh, people when they talk about uh, relationships and when they talk about marriages, and you look into that whole scene and you says, you know what? What's the common denominator? And so, in the book of Hosea, we're looking at the common denominator in this uh, this book, and the common denominator is a family tree, a family tree, if you would, and the family tree has um, come all the way down from uh, David. And so um, some of these are descendants of David. Uh, some of them are descendants of David's peers. And so the children of Israel are there, and they've warred amongst themselves, and now they've gone on the north side, and some is on the south side. And so the tribe of Judah is on the south, and um, the Israelites are on the north. But it came about as a result of them fighting amongst themselves. And it came about as a result of them um, wanting and desiring to have teachers that would tell them what they wanted to hear. It was so bad that the priests were turning to the people to ask the people what they wanted to hear. What, what, what do you want us to say? And so the people and the priests, you couldn't tell the difference between the people and the priests because the priests were following after the people instead of them leading the people and they were following and doing what people wanted. They were heaping to themselves teachers with uh, the ability to scratch um, where they itched, basically. So it wasn't a matter of where God says they needed to be scratched, but they were scratching where they felt like uh, they needed to be scratched. And they didn't want you to say anything to them about how they were living. They only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. So you find that um, there's one common thread. And as I'm sitting here and we're on the air and I'm thinking this through and the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart because it is truly uh, amazing to me that one family line Okay, I want you just to imagine this. It's like, okay, say maybe you're the granddaughter 
uh, the grandson. And we're going to just kind of turn and look back for maybe a period of 40 years, you know. And maybe we have to go back a little bit further than that, but we're after four generations back. And so you've got uh, – your your grandchild, and so then you got a grandfather, um, but in between that, uh, you got a father, so you a grandchild, a father, a grandchild, I mean a grandfather, and then a great grandfather. So we're going to go back to the great grandfather, and then we've got the grandfather, then we've got the father, then we've got the child. That's four generations. But during the course of this time, say with the great grandfather, there. Uh, became um, something that that great-grandfather was desiring of another person that was uh, a peer of theirs during their time. So now um, you have, let's, let's draw a parallel. You've got the great-grandfather, and uh, across from the great-grandfather is another great-grandfather. And so your great-grandfather was asking this other uh, family line, great-grandfather, for a favor and believing that they were going to get it, and they felt justified in asking them to do this favor for them because they knew that this person was in power to, uh, had the power to grant them their wish. So let's deal with the two great-grandfathers here, okay? So one great-grandfather has the request of the other great-grandfather because he knows that the other great-grandfather is in position to grant the request, okay? So um, the great-grandfather who's in the position to grant the request denies the request. So the great-grandfather who had made the request now is upset. They're angry. They're steaming. They're smoldering about it. And, you know, they're mumbling under their breath about it, and they're thinking about it, and, and they're rehearsing it. And then it becomes, you know, really painful. It becomes sore, and it begins to fester. And every time that they think about the name of that person who denied them, it gets worse. And it just gets worse, and, and sometimes they rehearse it, sometimes they talk about it at the table with their children. And so here you have now the person who's going to become a grandfather, who is the son of the great-grandfather, listening and watching the behavior of his father and how he responds and why he is so upset and how he blames this other person for not granting the request because I'm worthy of you granting me this request, and you have the power to grant me this request. So the son of the great-grandfather grows up and carries on the bitterness of the um, great-grandfather. So then he becomes the father, and then he rehearses that, like, look, you know, uh, those people that live across the street at, uh, uh, you know, Fifth and, and uh, and Jackson, those are the uh, children of uh, the man that denied your granddaddy, my daddy, um, a, a request. They had the power to do it. It was in their hands to do it. And, you know, my dad was capable of receiving that blessing, and he deserved that blessing, but they withheld it from him. So I don't want you going over there. I don't want you talking to them. I don't want you to have nothing to do with them. You know, even though they look like us and we are all of the same uh, family, uh, not family line, but of the same nations of people, I don't want you to have anything to do with them. Don't let me catch you over on that corner talking to those people, okay? So now you see the scene. So we go from the grandfather to his son, and then he becomes uh, a father and then also a grandfather and then handed down to the son. So four generations of uh, people have grown up with bitterness. 
And at each point, the bitterness has grown stronger. So first it starts out as a seed, and then the seed has formed into the soil, and it has taken root. It's wrapped itself, you know how like you see a root that would go down off into the ground and it would wrap itself maybe around a rock or something and it would just kind of begin to just get strength from that and begin to just grow and spread out and grow and spread out. So now this whole root system has been formed and it's down solid and this tree, this tree of bitterness has grown up in this bloodline. And have you ever uh, seen people where uh, their whole family is just angry? <laughs> you just see, like, oh, that whole family. And I, I just, it brings back to memory. I remember um, we had a family that lived across the street from us when I was a little girl. And everybody in the neighborhood knew about this family. Oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. Don't mess with them. Don't mess with them. Oh, because they have that whole family. They have a temper. You are subject to get killed at the drop of a hat. Don't even look at them. When they walk by, don't even raise your head up because they were a terror. The whole family, the father, the grandfather, the sons, the daughters, the their children, and they grew up in the neighborhood and we all, you know, basically just isolated away from them, you know, didn't want to have anything to do with them and they just let them just do whatever they pleased in the neighborhood. And it's the same way. You are finding that in the book of Hosea, and when I look at that, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This has been going on since the kings. So um, Solomon, uh, David's son, had uh, basically taken over the throne after David. And remember, this is Solomon, arrayed in glory, Solomon, full of wisdom. He asked God for the principal thing, and God says, you know, because you've asked me for wisdom, I'm going to give you anything that your heart desires. Yet, this wise man, the wisest man, they say, to ever live, turned away from God. Now, in his wisdom, did he get puffed up? He turned away from God. So this starts out with David and the um, great-grandfather that I'm speaking of who had the power and the authority to grant the wish, denied the wish, and that person was David. So David denied it. Then the... Uh, David's peer goes on and he passes that on. So then who used to be a friend of David now becomes an enemy of David. And they each try to overthrow the reign of David. And the momentum builds and the momentum builds over four generations, four generations. And the fourth generation is able to eventually overthrow David's kingdom, because now they have been sowing the seeds of discord of their bitterness amongst the people. Remember, it says in Hebrews 12 and 5, it says, be careful, be careful unless um, the root of bitterness come up and it trouble you first. It's going to trouble you, and then it's going to defile many. It's going to defile many who will... Um, be around you, people who are around bitter people. Uh, it, it, it taints everything. It, it absolutely taints everything. And so you find that these people are struggling. They're, they're, they're struggling with what to believe. And, and they know that there's been an ongoing feud between uh, David's house and this man's house. But finally, 
they build up enough momentum and the people are dissatisfied and angry with uh, David's lineage because uh, Solomon has taxed the people. He has taxed the people. Uh, he has uh, unfairly taxed the people. I mean, now this is Solomon and his wisdom, and the people believe that he's taking the money. Uh, Solomon marries an Egyptian, and he is taking the money that he has collected from um, the people for their pilgrimage to pass through the gate to go to uh, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He's taxed them, and he's taking the tax money, and he's giving it to his new pagan bride. Um, and so that becomes her spending change at the expense of the children of Israel. And so they're angry with Solomon. You know, Solomon has just, just lost it. He has absolutely lost it. He's turned away from God, and he's marrying into paganism, and he's allowing um, things to be done that are not pleasing to God in the kingdom. And he's profiting off the people. So now comes the opportunity when he has been waiting, this this fourth generation great-grandfather has been speaking down through the generations, waiting for the opportunity to get a foothold in so that he could turn the hearts of the people away from David's kingdom by sowing in a lie mixed in with a little bit of truth. And here comes the moment. And the moment has come, and that bloodline sees the opportunity to come in and divert the children of Israel and to keep them. Furthermore, Solomon was charging them to go through the gate, to go to their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but the plan of the other was to keep them from ever going on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to get them to totally turn away from God and to totally turn to his God. Now, they all came out worshiping the same God. They all came out worshiping Yahweh, but because of the sins of the Father, each generation grew worse and worse and became more and more perverse. But what you find out is the, the penalty that's being exacted on Solomon uh, in the Kings, uh, in the Book of Kings, is a result of what David did. Solomon, even in his wisdom, is still having to live out the sins of his father, David. So, what David did affected Solomon, and what David's peer did affected his son. So. Here is this enmity between them that's going on and it's building and it's building and it's building. And so now it has become a root of bitterness. It's not just being bitter. It's, it's one thing just to be bitter, but it's another thing to let it take root down inside of you. It says, because in Hebrews 12 and 5, it says that when it, it takes root, it, it troubles you and it defiles many. It's a dangerous sin, but it is a destructive sin but it's also it has an attachment to it. It's like uh, the law of reciprocity is attached to the root of bitterness, and wherever the root of bitterness is, it must eventually judge, and it must eventually be judged. So it's a boomerang effect, is that all of that anger and all that resentment and all that bitterness that's harboring inside of this bloodline for four generations ultimately is going to turn and do a U-turn and be thrown back at them for all the things that they've done and for all the things that they are planning to do, it ultimately comes back on them. 
So I want to thank you all for joining. I see we have callers on the line. Thank you for joining. And I have someone who is um, in um, the uh, the chat room. I thank you so much for joining. Uh, welcome to the show. And we are studying the book of Hosea, but we're taking the time out to look at the bitter roots. Okay? And so the bitter roots say that the law applies not only to our conscious actions, known and performed outwardly, but also to what is lodged in our heart, the things that are repressed, the unknown and the unexpressed, the unknown and the unexpressed, the repressed, the things that are lodged in our heart. Once these things are formed, judgment must bring results. You're going to eventually exact judgment on the object of your affection, but know this, that when you exact revenge and judgment against the one that you perceive to have wronged you, it's going to come back to you. So bitter roots that have not been submitted to the cross, they defile. They are the, the most powerful negative forces in our lives, and they bring destruction not only to us, but to those around us. I mean, a whole family is going to be destroyed when that bloodline is perpetuating bitterness. So everything it touches, everything that um, everybody who comes in contact with them will get taken down. So see to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, Hebrews 12 and 15. Now this uh, helps us to reveal the depth and power of bitter root judgments, the driving force behind the recurring patterns of trouble and destruction in our lives. The power of a bitter root comes from the unchangeable laws of God, which cause us to reap in kind what we have sown. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, what? That shall you also reap. Bitter root judgments are far more powerful than bitter root expectancy. Judgments operate by God's law, whereas repeated incidents form patterns of expectancy which operate only on the psychological level. But judgments and expectancies both rob us of the abundant life Jesus came to give us. The root of a tree gives life. Remember that, okay? The root of a tree gives life. I've been sharing uh, with um, uh, different uh, ones about a book called the, uh, There Were Two Trees in the Garden, and it is by Rick Joyner. I would encourage you in the listening audience to uh, buy a copy of that. It's a small book. It can be bought at a, your local Christian bookstores, and um, look into that because it's a powerful book. It's a small book, but it's a powerful book, and I think that you would uh, really uh, get a lot out of it. So um, the root of a tree gives life. It's planted in the ground. It, it reaches the water table, and there has to be something in the soil that is basically causing it to thrive and live. So in a tree or plant, a root is uh, underground. It's a hidden structure. Um, it's a conduit uh, for nourishment. So for us, roots are habitual ways we drink nurture from God, others, nature, and ourselves. So the root system that we have is what we receive our nurturing from. So if your family was rooted in bitterness and they continue to live in bitterness, it gets into your genetic DNA, it gets into your genetic spirit, and it perpetuates itself and, and just, just bitter, just bitter, angry people. So either you, you your root system is going to be uh, lodged into that uh, curse that's being passed down 
from generation to generation, or you're going to get a new root system and you because you submit it to the cross of Jesus Christ and you accept him as your Lord and Savior and you allow him to go in and pull up the bitter roots in your life and confront you with them because a person who's dealing with this, you have to confront that yourself personally. You have to see it in yourself. So for us, um, we find that when we drink from God that we're nurtured and when we drink from the root of bitterness, um, we usually tend to drink harm to ourselves. So what are the bitter roots or what's called as bitter root judgments? They are sinful reactions, our reactions to circumstances that occur in our lives. If you've been molested, if you've been beaten, if you've been rejected, if you've been isolated, if you've been betrayed, if you've been left for dead, if someone has neglected you, someone has rejected you, it is your own sinful reaction to the circumstances that occur in your life. Life is happening. All around us, life has happened to us. It's our response to what has happened to us that will affect us. So um, vengeance is mine, said the Lord. It's God's to judge. It's God's to rectify. It's God's to uh, recompense um, the evil that's been done to us. And it's ours to give him the praise. And it's ours to get out of his way and allow him to be the righteous judge. Because when he judges, he judges fairly. When we judge, we judge ourselves. So remember it says, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. So when you judge someone else, you judge yourself as well. But when you get out of the way and you allow God to judge them, then your hands are clean. So God is the righteous judge, and he knows exactly what it's going to take to get, um, I don't want to say revenge, but he says vengeance, to get vengeance on your behalf. So um, they are condemning judgments of other people. Bitter roots are condemning judgments of other people, and they are our sinful reactions to circumstances that occur in our lives. And they also are the inability or refusal to forgive someone. I remember um, a time in my life where I was dealing with um, unforgiveness in my heart, and I remember when I went to go to the altar to uh, get prayer. And the minister began to minister to my spirit, and he began to call up those things that he saw through the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know me that the Holy Spirit was revealing to him things that had happened to me. And all of a sudden, my fist just closed and just locked, and I was holding my fist. And it, was, it wasn't that I was in a fight mode. I was holding my fist as if I'm not going to let go. What they did to me was not right. I'm not going to let go. And he says, you have to let go because if you don't let go, you can't be forgiven. You must forgive as you are forgiven. So when you are standing in need of forgiveness, you have to have that kind of mindset that, okay, if I want to be forgiven, then I have to forgive. Not because I feel like it, not because I even believe they deserve it, but because I cannot allow myself to be in the position to judge. I cannot allow myself to be in a position to um, try to exact punishment against anybody because ultimately it's going to destroy me. It may destroy them, but it definitely is going to destroy me. So unless I want to um, leave with uh, out fulfilling the purpose of God in my life, I have to choose to live in forgiveness. I have to choose to walk in forgiveness because Forgive as you are forgiven. 
Forgive as you are forgiven. How many times do you have to forgive? It says 70 times 7. How many times is that? 490 times a day. Have you forgiven 490 times a day? If you haven't, then, you know, every day you get up 490 times a day. That person gets extended 490 times a day. So the inability or refusal to forgive someone, um, the root of bitterness is also the operations of the uh, unchangeable laws of God, which cause us to reap in time what we've sown. When we operate in the root of bitterness, it sets us up against God. It sets us up against God. When we operate in the root of bitterness, it sets us up in as against God because it's unforgiveness. And God sent his son. God sent his only begotten son into this world so that we might live and we might be free. And so if he has forgiven us our trespasses, if he's forgiven us for all of our infidelities and for all of our iniquities and for all of our transgressions, he has forgiven us. He expects us to forgive, not because we feel like it or the person or the situation deserves forgiveness, but because he wants us to be free. He has already led captivity captive. So he does not want us to be entangled with the yoke of bondage. Bitterness is bondage, and it is bondage that destroys. And what bitter roots are not about the hurtful or terrible things that happen to us, nor are they the sins of those who have wronged us. They are our sinful responses to those things that have happened to us, things that we have planted deeply within us due to our refusal or inability to forgive. I'm going to repeat that. It's hurtful or terrible things that happen to us, nor are they the sins of those who have wronged us. So it's not about what's been done to us. It's not about who did it to us, but it's about our response to the things that have happened to us, that's planted deep down inside of us due to our refusal or inability to forgive. Think about that. That's a C-Law moment. That is a C-Law moment. Bitter roots infect the mind with expectancies. What are you expecting? What are you expecting as a result of you being bitter against what's been done to you and who did it to you? It's a psychological practice in our lives. It's a habit of a self-fulfilling prophecy by which we push people to fulfill our picture of the way things will go. It causes us to uh, control. It causes us to say um, we can't depend on people, and it causes us to say things like, you know, nobody ever listens to me. Nobody ever pays any attention to me. It puts us in a state where uh, we feel uh, victimized all the time, is that nobody realizes what I've gone through. Remember that song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen? That's all. I remember that song um, as a little girl, and it's it's an old Negro spiritual. But I remember that song, and it's it's a pitiful song. It's it's a pitiful song as it starts out. But when you think about it, it is the mindset of a uh, a person who's becoming embittered. Uh, it, it is. It really is. So uh, women uh, will control. And men um, will, will feel as if, as women, that men can't be depended upon, uh, and no one ever listens to us. So the following is uh, an example of root of bitter expectancy. A man is brought up, say, by a critical mother. He feels wounded and rejected. He learns to protect his heart by withdrawing from his mother. Her experiences and his experiences uh, as a son to this mother form a picture of women. So when he marries, he fears the pain and the vulnerability and the consciously or unconsciously he projects his expectations onto his wife, holding her at a distance. 
so she's lonely and appeals to him to share with her. He interprets this as criticism, whether it is or not, and pulls farther away. He criticizes her attempt to break through the walls of his heart. Think about that. This is an example of a bitter root expectancy. A man who has grown up with a mother who has criticized him, and he feels wounded and rejected, and he learns to protect his heart, and he ultimately begins to withdraw from his mother. And every child, whether male or female, desires the love of a mother. And so because of his experience with his mother, he begins to see all women through the eyes of his mother. So he marries, and because of the fear that he's going to be criticized and he's going to be rejected, um, he doesn't want to be vulnerable, and he begins to act this out on his wife. And even though he wants her love and he wants her affection, his behavior is pushing, you know, pushing them further apart. And the woman becomes lonely, and she's like, you know, what have I done? Because she doesn't understand. She doesn't realize what has been passed on through his lineage. So he sees her trying to get close to him as criticism, criticism not from her but from his mother, and he further withdraws, and he criticizes her efforts as rejection. So then we've got judgments and expectancies, and judgment is the seed that gets planted in us as children, and it may be forgotten uh, by the one um, situation where it's like, you know, it, it, it slips in. It slips in inside of us, okay? It slips in inside of us. And as children, we're looking at the people who did us wrong, the people that we should have been able to trust, who violated us, who did things to us, and we judge them as children. We judge them as children. And it go, we grow up and we forget that we judge them when we were children. And so after we've grown up, that bitter root begins to trouble us because when something triggers it, we, we find ourselves with this taste in our mouth, like something sours in our mouth. It just brings up a taste, a sour taste in our mouth. And, and I think, you know, maybe my audience can agree with that or if you've experienced that. But if you haven't, you know, kind of pay attention when you encounter someone that reminds you of something that you've done or you actually encounter someone who's done you wrong. And the very presence of that person brings about a taste in your mouth and, and your, your, your face begins to change and your lips and, and your mouth begin to change and, and, and you begin to, you know, and you smack every time you see them because it, it, it's a sucking, it's, it's a, a bitterness, it's a twang that the very essence of that person is standing in front of you, the audacity of them to even be in your presence. So after the child's grown up, that bitter root begins to play. And the examples, say, for instance, of the critical mother and the boy who um, judged her. And so now he's judging all women. And he will be critical towards the women. 
and he will have to protect his heart. He'll read through his wife and the other women what he experienced with his mother. So it's the law of attraction that begins to come into play, is that the thing that he doesn't really want, he's attracting to himself because he always wanted his mother's love and he always wanted his mother's acceptance, but instead he got the criticism. So now that he's playing this out with uh, the women in his life, be it his uh, his wife, his children, his daughter, um, all these things he's, he's beginning to reap. He's beginning to reap a harvest. He's beginning to reap a harvest. And so the origin of the bitter roots and the bitter expectations normally start with parents. That's why I took you all the way back to four generations because the further back it goes, the stronger it is. The stronger it is in you and, and it just kind of comes up and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. So they can also start with other persons in our youth, such as grandparents and teachers. Uh, the judgments uh, are the seeds that are sown in the bitter root. Expectation um, is the vehicle that brings the judgments to fruition. If it's sown in childhood and it's brought to fruition in our relationships with our spouses, authority figures, society, and even with God, this is why I say that it is so critical for children to grow up um, in a healthy environment, um, be it a mother or father, but having having one healthy parent is better than having two unhealthy parents. Um, and even though it creates a void in a child's life, somebody has got to be healthy enough to nurture that child and not pass on the sins of the father and the propensities of the fathers and the mothers down to these children. And if not, you find that these children come up and they wrestle and struggle with things that they don't even comprehend. And nobody, maybe the mother and father is dead by now, and they don't even know what's going on with them, but they're just bitter all the time, and they just can't seem to shake it. So what... What are you going to do? Because when that bitterness is there, you can't even receive God as Father. You can't perceive Him loving you because you haven't experienced that love. You you you've, you've experienced conditional love, uh, love that's not agape, and so you you see God through those lenses. So we ultimately get what we expect. We attract to us what we expect based on where we've been. So if we're um, not eager to get past those things, we find a way to push enough buttons to get them to give us what we expect. It's like you expect somebody to betray you. You expect somebody to mistreat you. You expect somebody to not love you. You expect for somebody not to care for you. You expect for somebody not to choose you because when you were the kid on the playground, you always got chosen last because you couldn't move fast enough. You couldn't catch the ball and or whatever you were awkward or whatever. You never got to go to the prom. Whatever it was that you um, that, that rendered you bitter, you reenact it over and over again. So who's responsible and who's accountable? Because human nature says somebody is responsible. Somebody has to take the blame for this. Somebody has to take the blame for this. So we are, God holds us accountable for our sinful reactions to what has taken place in our lives. We are guilty but not condemned. Guilt is the friend that brings us to the cross and thus to healing and transformation. Guilt brings us to the cross. And thus, we find healing and transformation. God holds us accountable for our sinful reactions to what has taken place in our life. He also holds the people who did those things to us accountable, but we have to move out of the way and let God 
lest we also be judged. Because you cannot sit in the position of a judge because God is the judge. He is the righteous judge. So if you're going to judge, then you make uh, God's judgment of no effect. He can't judge if you won't let go and let him judge. You can't occupy the office that belongs to God and expect to come out unscathed. So as we go forward and and deal with uh, bitter roots, uh, the judgments and the expectations, that we have to routinely uh, check to see how we're actually doing. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43, and Matthew 7 and 20, it says, if there is uh, fruit, then there's a root, right? Because uh, you shall know a tree by what? By the fruit it bears. So if um, you find that somebody has bitterness in their hearts and they react um, bitterly to certain situations and circumstances, know that they've got a root. There's a root. I mean, that fruit is, is not there just dangling by itself. I mean, there it got there because there's a tree there. So wherever you see fruit, where? Wherever you see fruit, there's a tree. So in Luke 6 and 43 and Matthew 7 and 20, it talks about that. So how do we handle the bitter root? We have to first recognize those roots and how they've affected our lives and the lives of those uh, that are around us. So we have to choose to repent by determining to stop the patterns by hauling judgments and expectations to the cross. And so if you can imagine a wheelbarrow and you're throwing all of your judgments inside this wheelbarrow of everything that everybody's ever done to you, I mean, you have to visualize yourself getting free from something. Some things you have to actually visualize in order to be free from them. So you have to um, just say we're going to take uh, if somebody mistreated you as a child, whatever they did, if they took your candy, if they molested you, if they if they raped you, whatever they did, um, that is um, absolutely going to be the process by which God is dealing with you. He says, now give me, roll your cares over on me. So let's just kind of, you know, do a quick visualization of us just tossing, getting that wheelbarrow and just tossing stuff in it. You know, my mother didn't love me. My father didn't love me. I didn't know who my mother was, didn't know who my father was. Um, my, my, my siblings, my cousins, they mistreated me. They beat me. They mistreated me. They tricked me. Um, my uncle molested me. My aunt molested me. My father betrayed me. My mother betrayed me. My pastor betrayed me. My pastor molested me. All of these things, if you can just hump and, and, and lump them all into that wheelbarrow, and we're going to just take that wheelbarrow and we're going to go to the foot of the cross and we're going to just... Flip that wheelbarrow up, and we're going to roll that over on God, not because you feel like it, not because you feel like it, because you don't feel like it if you have a root of bitterness in you, because if you let go of what it is that you have been so consumed with, you're going to realize that I have to change my behavior. I have to change my responses to things that have been done to me. I have to change how I respond to people, situations, and circumstances now. If I let this go, then I'm going to be held accountable. So you have to realize that it's not everything that God asks us to do is not because we feel like it. We can't get away with I don't feel like it because when God asks us to do something, we do it whether we feel like it or not, instant, in season, and out of season. Oh, thank you, Lord. So if we roll into the wheelbarrow, okay, and we haul it to the cross in prayer, 
And the prayers have to be specific. They have to be focused. They have to be spirit-led prayers of forgiveness. A person must speak forgiveness at the age of the judgment. Many of you maybe don't remember uh, when you judged somebody for mistreating you. Maybe you do, if you do, okay? You say, you know, uh, when I was 12, uh, my uncle molested me, and I looked at him as he was molesting me, and I said to myself, I will never be like you, and I will never treat a child the way that you treated me, and I will never, ever, ever forgive you for what you've done for me. That's the moment you judge them. It's a normal response. But God is saying, I'm your judge. I am the one who will get vengeance. I am the one who wants to take that off of you because it is eating your lunch. I want you to pray out loud and ask for forgiveness for any judgments that you may have uh, measured against your mother, your father, the resentment and the hating, and ask God to say, forgive me for perpetuating those attitudes in my present relationship. And you have to say that you forgive by the word of God. And the word of God that's in John 20 and 23, let's, um, let's look this up really quick. John chapter 20, verse 23. If you have your Bibles, um, you know, by all means, uh, look it up with me. Um, 20 and 23 says that whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Let's go back and look at that, okay? Let's start at uh, St. John 20 and 22. And it said that, um, and when he said, had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. That's a moment to think about. Whosoever sins, ye remit. They are remitted unto them. So whoever sinned against you, when you forgive them of their sins against you, they go back to them. But when you don't remit those sins, they stay with you. So what is tied to sin? The wages of sin is death. You tie yourself to death. And unforgiveness literally ties you to that person. And uh, culturally speaking of, of the Jewish tradition is that when the Jews um, talked about someone who murdered someone, their punishment for uh, the person who murdered them was to take the corpse of that dead person and tie it to the murderer. And that murderer would have to walk around with that corpse attached to them until the stench and the decay of that corpse overtook the living human being, and that was their punishment. And by that, they were murdered or killed or judged by the person they had killed. So God is saying, whosoever sins you remit, you remit them back to them. You give them back to them. But whosoever sins you retain, you retain them to yourself. So if you retain them, then you're walking around with a dead corpse attached to you. How many corpses are attached to you? Because you won't let go. It's not a feeling. It's an action. Forgiveness is what you do. You do it because you must do it. Forgiveness ultimately is for you. It's for your good that God says to forgive. 
So then you deal with the prayers of death in Luke chapter 9, 23 and 24. Dying to self on the cross, bless of me, Lord, and all of you by demolishing the structures of judgment and bitter root expectations, habits, attitudes, and reflexes by taking them to the cross of Christ um, in Galatians 2 and 20 and Galatians 5 and 24. So we say, Lord, bring those practices to death by the power of your cross, the practice that I have of rehearsing hurts, of being bitter. And then we ask God to restore us through the resurrection. Lord, restore. And, and ask him to restore whatever it is that the, the canker worm, the locusts, have eaten. Uh, the, the eating and the, stri- the, the stripping locusts have come in and taken out of your life. He says that he would restore what the pommel worm, the canker worm, and the locust has come in and destroyed out of your life, your joy, your peace, your childhood, your innocence. Ask God, Lord, restore that. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me the years that the pommel worm, the canker worm, and the locust has eaten up through my molestation, through my betrayal, through my rejection, through um, my feeling isolated and criticized. God, restore unto me and reverse the old patterns and cause um, the glorious opposites of those things to happen into my life. Restore unto me new life. And ask God to give you a new expectancy, not an expectancy. I I can remember um, uh, dealing with a situation where I had grown up uh, going through uh, child abuse, spiritual, mentally, emotional, sexual, physical abuse. And I would literally mark off the people as they would die. Um, and say, I don't have to share the earth with them anymore. Thank you, God. I don't have to share the earth with them anymore. And I would just visualize myself whether I ever went to the funeral or not. I said, I'm going to just drop a black rose on the casket, and I'm just going to walk away, and everybody's going to know that they did something bad. But I judge them. I judge them. And when God called me into account of that, he says, you know, when you're carrying around dead people, he says, you're walking around in the cemetery in your own life. You're walking around in the cemetery, and you've got dead people attached to you. He says, now, why seek ye the living amongst the dead? And let the dead bury the dead. Let go of the dead people and the dead issues that are holding you down. Lay aside every sin and every weight that doth so easily beset you so that you can run this race with patience. Let go of those things. So we ask God to restore us. We ask God to reverse the old pattern and cause uh, its glorious opposite to happen, restore to new life, and restore to us a new expectancy of greater things happening in our lives. The healing continues as we continue to pray, and there is an ongoing discipline to bring to death habitual practices of our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions, and to bring to life the nature of Christ uh, in us. So, Hosea chapter 8 verse 7 says, they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. The New Testament, Matthew 3 and 10 says, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 5 and 17 says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Matthew 7, 16 and 20 says, but by their fruit you will recognize them. So if you have a bitter root, you have a bitter tree, and you have bitter fruit. So do people pick grapes from thorn bushes 
or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Matthew 15 and 13 says, He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Matthew 15 and 13 says, He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. God has not planted the root of bitterness in us. We have planted it in ourselves through our responses to what has happened to us by people who have done it to us. Luke 6, 43 and 45 says, No good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges discerns the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Hebrews 12 and 15, the New American Standard says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that root of bitterness up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. James 1 and 15 says, Then after desire has conceived it, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The wages of sin is death. James 5 and 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. First John 1 and 9, the New American Standard says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Galatians 2 and 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. Remember, it's not by feeling, it's by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5 and 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. The sinful nature desires to be bitter. The sinful nature desires to hold on to unforgiveness. But God says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified this sinful nature with its passions and desires. This is Galatians 5 and 24. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 in the New American Standard says, Do not be do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. When you hold on to bitterness and it becomes a root, it becomes a tree, and it produces fruit, it will bring a harvest of corruption because it is of the flesh. So you must sow to the spirit. You must let go, not by feeling, but what? By faith. So Ephesians 5 and 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Philippians 3, 10 through 15, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, 
or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. On sowing and reaping, it says mankind's sinning is like a man who throws a ball against the wall. At some point, it will return to him. Mankind's sinning is like a man who throws a ball against a wall. At some point, it will return to him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6 and 7 says, The longer our sins go unrepented, unrepented, the larger it grows. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. By the time our sin returns to us to be reaped, it has grown to overwhelming proportions. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's James 1 and 15. So God, unwilling that any should perish, sent Jesus to identify with us in all our sinfulness. Jesus took our sin upon himself and died with it for us. Our sin was canceled and the law of sowing and reaping fulfilled in him. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. We are called to take hold of the life that Jesus won for us by his death and his resurrection, uh, according to Philippians 3, 10 through 15, and to walk in a daily discipline described for us in the scriptures found in Romans 6, 6 through 14. And then also, let's turn to Romans 6. 6 through 14. And we are knowing that if we want to be free and if we want God to bless us and we want our fruit to be blessed and we want God to have his way in our lives, that we have to let go. We have to let go. When God says let go, we need to let go. Even though we don't feel like letting go, we have to let go. Romans 6, 6 through 14 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That means we won't be slaves to sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Uh, dead men don't pay. Dead men don't pay. Dead men don't have to pay. They say one thing that you don't have to do is when you die is you don't have to pay. Okay, so um, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive. Those that are alive. And what are you alive to? You are alive from. You are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. 
for ye are not under the law, but under grace. This is what God desires for us. But if we will hold on to bitterness, we can't operate in that. We must be dead to the things of the flesh so that we can live in him. Because he says that in him we live, move, and we have our being. And God desires for us to be free. So as we continue on with uh, studying Hosea and uh, finishing it up, and I believe that um, we'll be finished by Monday on covering the book of Hosea, this is a piece that I'd like to encourage you all to go back and refer back to because of this root of bitterness, we find that the enmity and the civil war and the dwellings and the fightings and the, the apostasies and the reprobate status of the children of Israel on the northern and the children of Judah on the southern kingdom are all coming about because of the root of bitterness, the unwillingness to let go, the unwillingness not to judge, but to let God be the righteous judge, to let go because whose sins you remit, they are remitted back to the sinner. Whose sins you retain, they are retained to you, the one who's been wounded. Haven't you been wounded and hurt enough without letting them get away scot-free? They aren't getting away with anything if you let God be the judge. But if you don't let go, then not only are they getting away with it, they're also taking you down with them. Remember, the ball being tossed on the wall returns to the one who threw it. Remember that. So I want to uh, play this um, this worship song um, again by uh, Marvin Sapp, and I have a caller on the line, and I have someone um, listening in the chat room. And if you'd like to make comments, uh, simply click on um, I'll come to the line, and we can talk about it, okay? Never would have made it. Never could have made it without you. Hi, caller. Thank you for joining us. Would you like I to have any comments? But now I see how you were there for me. Okay, I'll put you back I on hold. Never would have made it. Never could have made it without you. I would have lost it all. But now I see how you were there for me, and I can say I'm stronger. Yes, 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 we're stronger I'm now. Yes, we are. We're wise. Thank I'm you, better, Jesus. Much better. When I look back over all you brought me through, I can see that you were the one I held yes. to. Thank you, Jesus. That is, that's so true. That's so true. We have 19 minutes uh, remaining in our broadcast. And I want you to know that God loves you. God is concerned about you. God sees. He is not blind. 
He is not deaf and he is not unfeeling. He feels as we feel. He knows our pain. He knows our sorrow. He knows our disappointment. He knows how to get us out of what we're in and he knows how to get stuff to us that needs to be gotten to us. But there are some things that are just a matter of fact based upon condition, based upon your willingness to let go and let God. God will have free reign. God will have free course in your life if you choose, if you choose to let go and let God. God says that if you would trust him, trust him, trust him by acknowledging him, acknowledging that he knows more than you know about your life and how to get you to your appointed place and to your destination, if you will simply acknowledge that God is wiser than you, he's bigger than you, he's stronger than you, he has more power than you, he has the ability to see where you cannot see, he has the ability to be where you cannot be, if you would magnify God above the problems and above the circumstances and above the situations and above the things that have happened to you and change your response. You can't change what people have done to you. You can't change the people who have done it to you. But what you can do is change your response to what they have done to you. Remember the wheelbarrow. Throw it over in the wheelbarrow and roll it up to the cross and dump it at the cross. Remember that all you have to do is trust that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a recompenser. He says that he would restore the years that the pommel worm, the canker worm, and the locust has eaten up. He said that he would. He would be there. He would never leave us nor forsake us. He said in Psalms 27, he says, when your mother and your father forsake you, he says, I will take up your cause. God says that he will sit closer to us than a brother, sit closer to us. He will be with their be with us through the fire, through the flood. If we make our beds in hell, he says he would be there. He says that he would be our God if we would be his people. And this is the cry that goes out tonight, is that let God be God. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let God be God and you be his child. You don't have to be the judge because God says he's the judge. And when God judges, he judges well. He judges well. You will not be singed when God judges. You will not be uh, decayed. Um, It's like uh, being a leper. Remember, what I was talking about is that, you know, the Jewish tradition for punishing someone who murdered someone was to tie the body of the person they murdered to them and let them walk around with that body attached to them until they dropped dead from the stench and the decay of that other person's body. And if you don't let go, then you walk around with a bunch of dead people hanging on to you, decaying and rotting all around you, and instead of walking into newness of life, you're walking amongst the living dead. You are walking with deadness around you. Lay down the weights. Lay down the weights that so easily beset you and keep you from running this race with joy and victory. Let go. Let God. Let go. Let God. God knows. God knows. God knows the pain. God knows the disappointment. God knows what you've been through. God knows where he's going to take you. 
there's a brighter tomorrow. There's a brighter tomorrow. There's a brighter day ahead. But you have got to let go. Let go. If you've inherited bitterness and your whole family is full of bitterness, then let the buck stop with you. Let um, the the roots of grudges and, and bitterness and unforgiveness stop with you. Let the roots of vengeance stop with you because you're bearing fruit, but it's not God's fruit. It's the fruit of the flesh. It's the works of the flesh that's hanging off of you. And everywhere you go, everything that has been done to you, you attract back to you. God, help us. God, we thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for your word tonight. We thank you for those who joined in. We thank you for those who will listen to this broadcast later, God. We thank you that you are sovereign, God. We thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you are the one who sees us and knows us, God. Thank you for creating in us a clean heart, God, and renewing within us a right spirit. I ask God for myself that you forgive me of every sin of omission and commission, everything that I have done, God, that is not pleasing to you. God, I ask for your forgiveness right now in the name of Jesus. If I stand in agreement with those who will be listening, God, I stand at the foot of the cross with them, God, asking for forgiveness and the liberation to be free from the lineages of curses of the roots of bitterness and the roots that would come in to trouble us and defile us and contaminate us and draw judgment to us, God, because whose sins we retain, you said they would be retained to us, but whose sins we remit would be remitted back to them. And God, I choose to, by faith, let go and forgive those who have harmed me and those by faith, God, not by feeling, who have done injustices to me. I choose to forgive and I choose to roll it into the wheelbarrow and drop it at the foot of the cross and roll the care of it over on you. And I ask that you now become my judge, that you now become the judge over my life completely and totally, be it whatever situation or circumstance in my life, God, I Thank you that I lay aside every sin and every weight that has kept me from running this race, that has kept me from walking in life. Every place in my life where I've walked in death, God, I renounce it now in the name of Jesus. And, God, I thank you that as I stand at the foot of the cross with the listeners of this broadcast, God, that I come standing, God, standing before you, God, asking for mercy and asking for grace in the time of need, God, that they would find help and the time of need to realize that they don't have to do it because they feel like it, but they have to do it because you've got a plan, and your plans are not to harm them but to prosper them. According to Jeremiah 29 11, you know the thoughts that you think towards us, and they are to give us success and an expected end. God, and I thank you that I want your plans and I want your will and your desires for my life more than I want to be bitter, more than I want to judge, more than I want to exact revenge. God, I need you to move right now in the midst of your people. In the midst of your people, let your anointing sit down in the midst of this broadcast. Let your anointing sit down in the archives of this broadcast and set your people free, God, in the name of Jesus, God, not because of who I am, but because of who you are, God, because of who you are, sovereign God, mighty God, everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. God, you are all together lovely. Release your power and your authority and your anointing upon this listening audience in the name of Jesus. God, and I thank you. I thank you that your blood covers us, God. I thank you that your blood covers us. And as we let go, we trust you with our lives, God. We trust you with our lives, Father, and we give you the praise, God. We give you the glory, and we give you the honor, God, and we thank you for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Overtake us, overshadow us. Give us rest in the night watches, God. Let us lie down and have sweet sleep, God. I thank you. I thank you, God, that you know that you are going to get the glory out of our lives. For such a time as this, you have brought us to the kingdom of God. God, may we be used for your glory. May we be used for your purpose, for your honor, God. May we walk in victory. May we walk in peace. May we walk in joy and the hope of our callings, God. May we thank you and praise you and reverence you and magnify you. Hi, God. And you said that where any two or three would be gathered in your name, God, that you would be in the midst. And I thank you that you are sitting on the circle of this broadcast. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for the souls that have been added to the kingdom. I thank you, God, for those who have been loosed from the shackles, God. I thank you, God, for the anointing that breaks the yoke, God. I thank you. Oh, God, I thank you. I thank you for the newness of life. Remember, Jesus loves you. And remember that because he loves you, he has already worked it out. He says that he loves you. He's calling your name. Won't you answer him? Won't you respond to him? Give him the praise. Give him the glory. And give him the honor. I have another worship song that I'd like to pray, uh, play for us as we're about to go out. We have nine minutes remaining on the broadcast. And uh, I want to thank you all once again for coming by. And uh, this is the uh, song by Cheryl Brady, and it's about uh, intimacy with God. And I hope that you enjoy the selection as we are winding down the broadcast. Don't me. 
Bless you, Jesus. God, we thank you. Thank you, God, for your strength, God. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you, God, for caring about us. Thank you, God, for your unconditional love towards us, God, even when we behave unlovely, God. Thank you, God. Teach us how to walk according to your plans, God. Order our steps in your word, God. Lead and guide us, God, according to your good pleasure, Father. We do thank you and we praise you and we reverence you, God. And we thank you, God. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. And we give you the honor, God. As we lay down between porch and altar, God, we ask, God, that you would get the glory out of our lives, Father. And we're going to go to Karen Wheaton between porch and altar. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Let your kingdom come down, God, as we lay between porch and altar. Let your kingdom come down. Let your kingdom be as it is in heaven, Father. We thank you and we praise you for that, Father. We thank you and we praise you for that. As we are counting down, we have four minutes remaining in the broadcast. I'd like to have an additional word of prayer protection for those who have been listening in um, to the broadcast. And so let us now... um, Begin to pray that prayer of protection for you, the listeners, and uh, you be blessed, and I'll be right back with you on the air. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up the listeners of this broadcast to you, and I pray a hedge of protection around them. I thank you, Father, that you are a wall of fire round about them, and that you set your angels round about them. And I thank you that because they dwell in the secret place of the Most High and they abide under the shadow of the Almighty, they will say of you, Lord, that you are their refuge, their fortress, and you they will trust. I thank you that you cover them with your feathers and under your wings shall they trust. 
They shall not be afraid of the terror by night, or the fiery dart that flies by day. Only with their eyes will they behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because my listeners have made you, Lord, their refuge and fortress, no evil shall befall them, no accident will overtake them, neither shall any plague or calamity come near them, for you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of your ways. And, Father, I thank you because you've set your love upon them. Therefore, will you deliver them. They shall call upon you, and you will answer them. You will be with them in trouble, and will satisfy them with long life, and show them your salvation. Not a hair of their head shall perish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Alrighty, we are about to conclude our broadcast tonight, and once again, I want to thank you for coming by and listening and joining in with us at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Patricia Adams Live. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you. God keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, and we hope you'll come back again and join us again. But when you sign off and you have the opportunity to come back, I rate the show. And as you rate the show, then um, we also are giving God the glory for that because God has created a platform for us to come out and share his word freely with you. And we are blessed to be a blessing, and we are grateful for the opportunity to share with you. So we are going to close out with um, the conclusion of uh, Show Brady's uh, song, And You Be Blessed. And I will see you again in the future.